Welcome for Food for Thought, a food processing podcast that takes you behind the headlines of the food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Erin Hallstrom. With me today are food processing editor-in-chief Dave Fusaro and senior editor Pan Dimitrakakis. Let's get started. What a time to be in the food and beverage industry. We've got a worldwide pandemic that's impacting people's health, the labor market, the economy, the supply chain, and more recently, societal issues have taken a more prominent role in how brands respond to their consumers. Let's first talk about COVID. We've covered the coronavirus in a lot of the magazine and the website, but there's obviously so much more to this virus we don't know. Tell me, both of you, what effect do you think the pandemic is having on the food and beverage industry so far? Well, um, the biggest and most obvious and most terrible effect is that its workers are getting sick and dying. Uh, According to the latest figures by the Food Environment Reporting Network, uh, there uh, have been more than 30,000 meat and poultry plant workers who, who have suffered COVID-19 and more than 3,000 uh, workers in other sorts of food processing plants. And the death toll has gone to more than 100 for meat plant workers and uh, a dozen for workers in other kinds of food plants. And those are just the cases that we know about. Uh, like everything else about uh, COVID, those numbers are probably resulting in underreporting. And that obviously has a devastating and horrible effect on the industry because people are literally afraid to come to work. Uh, According to uh, one poll I saw this morning, uh, some 40% of food industry executives say that their staff is uh, openly fearful of returning to work and getting sick. Something like that uh, has to affect morale. It has to affect absenteeism and it, um, you know, it's uh, just going to have a, a bad effect on efficiency in general and not to mention that uh, the industry in some cases is getting something of a black eye especially when it comes to meat and poultry. Uh, There have been instances where uh, meat plants have been the center of infection for their cities, their counties, even entire chunks of states. Uh, And, um, you know, this is an industry that uh, had been kind of sketchy in terms of uh, how it was viewed with, you know, how it treats its workers. This isn't doing it any favor. So, yes, it's a big mess, and um, uh, it's it's obviously something that's devastated the food industry in particular as much as it has the the country and the world as a whole, uh, and there's just no getting around that. Yeah, definitely. Dave, what are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, consumer behavior has been <laughs> interesting, to say the least, and, and well chronicled, too. But I think um, the million-dollar question, yeah, the $500 billion question, is whether this uh, is merely temporary behavior and, and shoppers will go right back to their previous habits when this is all over or if, if this will become the new way of shopping. Now, there are a couple of... <clears throat> This, this, this is in my last sentence, and this behavior in general meant uh, cooking at home, and for most people that meant simplicity, uh, comfort foods and uh, tried and true staples, frozen foods, uh, and things that could be cooked quickly and easily, because after all, you've got your kids home and they're running all over the place too. Nothing too exotic or too complicated to make. Now, once the stress of the situation and, and, and even some supply chain shortages are over, will shoppers continue to buy boxed macaroni and cheese and ice cream? 
uh, or will they go back to trying exotic ethnic foods and and other complex dishes that require a lot of ingredients and a lot of prep. Talked about Dave in your comment about the new way or new ways of looking or thinking of things, and I'm wondering what new methods or technologies do you think food and beverage companies have maybe been more ready to accept as a result of COVID and some of the new you know, best practices around workplace-facing issues or what have you. I want to step on our uh, plant operations uh, specialist's uh, toes on this, but automation, I'm sure he's going to mention it, so I'll get off that topic relatively quickly. I think uh, this might be a nice push for more automation, taking people out of uh, – uh, you know, at least the line work. But also, uh, I've seen some architecture and engineering firms talking very excitedly about new designs for food plants that, that work in more uh, distance between workers uh, and, and more, you know, sanitation steps. And this is for both new plants and to retrofit uh, existing ones. Okay. If it's okay uh, with you, Aaron, I'd kind of like to turn that question around or turn it inside out or whatever uh, and talk about a uh, technology that is, is or was be, being abandoned as a result of the COVID crisis, and that is uh, automatic ordering. Uh, grocery stores, especially the big chains, uh, years ago worked out these terrific um, automatic ordering and replenishment uh, systems that depended on algorithms uh, that in turn were fed by uh, shopper data. So it was very easy, at least in theory, to see what was about to run out, what was selling well, and uh, be able to order directly from the uh, distributor or even the manufacturer in some cases. However, when COVID struck, uh, people's buying patterns uh, completely changed. I, I won't go into detail on that because it's, it's kind of a familiar story, but the point is that the automatic ordering and replenishment algorithms no longer worked. So um, grocery store managers, uh, regional managers, et cetera, uh, their wholesalers, uh, they had to actually do their jobs the old-fashioned way, you know, get out, see what people were ordering, and uh, then try to negotiate uh, replenishments. And because the demand was so distorted with certain products going way up in popularity and, and others down, um, it was, um, uh, you know, it was a challenge for the manufacturers to try to keep up with those changes in demand and um, actually make more of the products that all of a sudden people wanted more of. So, um, so as I understand it, the industry kind of backed away, at least temporarily, from the uh, automatic ordering mindset and um, to tell you the truth, I'm not sure to what extent that's going to stick, but considering uh, how much disruption there was and uh, how much there would likely to be in the event of uh, a similar situation in the future, heaven forbid, uh, they'll probably want to keep that extra uh, flexibility in their back pocket, so to speak. Uh, so we, we, we might see an evolution of uh, how uh, things move along the supply chain from manufacturer to retailer to uh, allow more, more flexibility 
and be able to accommodate situations like this better. But it almost sounds like that adage of everything old is new again. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind so, of is. You know, you've got guys going yeah. around with clipboards instead of uh, just pressing a few buttons on the keyboard. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, retro, but to mm-hmm. make it safe. <laughs> so after, you know, I think everyone's heard of we're flattening the curve, we're doing, you know, once the data um, gets to a point where the new normal becomes normal, what effects do you both think are likely to linger on post-pandemic? Well, for me, I think uh, what I mentioned earlier about consumer behavior, you know, will it go back to uh, the way people were shopping pre-pandemic or, uh, you know, will this have a, uh, a permanent effect on going back to comfort foods and simple things and more meal preparation at home. Now, the other thing is uh, I think it would be interesting to see if, if any of these uh, new direct-to-consumer efforts succeed. Several processes are trying that approach in uh, newer, bigger ways. Frito-Lay is giving it a, a really big try. And just today it was announced that uh, Constellation Brands, uh, the liquor company, bought um, – Empathy wines, and in part because Empathy has a, a good direct-to-consumer uh, wine-selling uh, effort. Mm-hmm. And, and we talked earlier, Pan talked earlier about the meat industry getting a black eye. Uh, people talk about, you know, will, boy, will cruise ships ever fully recover? Will the airlines ever fully recover? I worry that the meat industry might never fully Recover. I mean, they're doing great now because uh, of the whole comfort food situation. But meat companies were first looked at as heroes, I think, for keeping uh, the supply of hamburgers and pork chops, you know, coming into the grocery stores. But uh, but then they became hotspots for for uh, the COVID virus. And people started hearing about how horrible it is to work in them. There's cold, damp, crowded conditions in those plants, and. And then as the plants shut down, farm animals were being euthanized because they couldn't be slaughtered in time. Farmers were dumping milk, couldn't be processed. And um, add to that long-running stories about uh, animal cruelty and uh, farm animals' contribution to global warming and other environmental concerns and how inefficient animals are at producing a pound of protein. And I think many people might, take this as an opportunity to say, well, the meat industry really is kind of archaic. Maybe, maybe we don't need so much dependence on meat, and uh, maybe there will be a movement toward plant proteins. Definitely. Pan, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Okay, well, um, I'd like to, when it comes to lingering effects, um, I'd like to expand a little bit on what I said before about the supply chain, because uh, one thing the pandemic has bared is um, uh, inflexibility all across the supply chain, uh, including the part from farmer to processor, as well as processor down the line. Uh, Dave mentioned uh, farmers being forced to dump milk, uh, and um, uh, the reason that happened was because the uh, dairy supply chain was set up to funnel a great deal of America's dairy output to restaurants and institutions like schools. Think of half pints of milk for kids' lunches. Think of all the cheese that gets used for pizza and cheeseburgers and uh, so on. 
the, the demand for that dropped way down, and um, while the retail demand went up, uh, the supply chain was just so rigid in terms of packaging uh, and, and just in terms of, of what they were set up to, to make and for whom that uh, farmers you know, had to dump milk uh, simply because there was nobody around to process it. So in the future, uh, I like to think that the flexibility, any flexibility that the supply chain has gained as a result of the pandemic uh, will be retained so that the next time something like this happens, uh, switching between channels like retail and food service uh, will be a lot easier. Uh, and that requires or would require a lot of changes all along the line in terms of more versatile equipment, more automation, and very likely uh, looser regulations uh, in terms of packaging uh, and what has to be done to, to make a, a package suitable for, for one channel or another. So uh, I really think that, um, or, or actually it's more like a hope that the supply chain flexibility that is being forced on the industry by this crisis, uh, that they'll find a way to retain it for the future. Gotcha. Well, it definitely sounds like we're going to have a lot to cover in terms of innovation and new ideas for the coming months and years on the pages of Food Processing Magazine and the website. I think that covers it for right now for as deep into the weeds as we can get. Um, before we sign off on this, our first episode, Dave Pan, is there anything, any upcoming projects you'd like to plug to let our audience know about? Oh, I do. I want to plug the upcoming uh, Green Plant of the Year uh, it's an annual project we've been doing for probably at least 10 years. Um, I can't give you all the specifications, but I think you get what it is. It's a, a sustainable plant. It has to be new or whatever renovations were done on it, less than three years old. So um, there's a long list of considerations, but I think you get the point. Just email me at dfusaro at putman.net. All right. Pan, do you have anything yet? I am starting to work on our um, entrepreneurs' uh, coverage for the September issue. So if you are a food processor who is, you know, if you are a food entrepreneur uh, or if you know of one who you think would be a good candidate, then um, shoot me an email at pand at putman.net. Well, thank you so much for both for joining me today. And for everyone else listening out there, thank you so much for being a part of our first episode. <laughs>